The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. And I know how busy and overwhelmed and stressed you are, so it always means so much to me. It really does when you're, you know, you're willing to take a little bit of time and listen to the program. So thank you so much for being with us today. You know, conflict comes in all forms, whether it's at work or at home, whether it's with coworkers, acquaintances, families, or friends. Conflict is just everywhere. And our guest, Donna Hicks, believes that in all of this, there is one common denominator, and that is the need for dignity. Dr. Donna Hicks is the author of the best-selling book, Dignity, the Essential Role It Plays in Resolving Conflict. She's an associate at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University, and she has gained worldwide recognition for her very unique approach to transforming conflict by shedding light on our universal desire to be treated with dignity. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hicks. Oh, thank you. So, Dr. Hicks, was there an event or a series of events that led you to begin suddenly thinking about the importance of dignity in resolving conflict? Yes, there, there actually was um, a series of events, really. I, as you mentioned, my work um, for the last 25 years has been to bring parties in conflict together for dialogue. And these parties, I'm talking about these big international conflicts like between Palestinians and Israelis and in Northern Ireland and in Sri Lanka. <clears throat> and what I would, I would be, you know, there to help promote a discussion that might bring, shed some light on some new ways of thinking about how to resolve these conflicts. And I would be sitting there, and honestly it wouldn't matter where in the world I was, I'd be sitting there listening to the kind of conversation that was going on back and forth between these parties, and they would always be talking about the political issues that divided them. And you'll, you'll relate to this. As a psychologist, I always listen for the conversation that isn't taking place, that isn't on the table being discussed. And, and again, didn't matter where I was, there was always this second conversation taking place that didn't have words to it. And that conversation uh, was always fraught with emotion. There, you could see the emotional upsetment in the people. You could see, but they continued talking about the politics, not about the underlying emotional assault that was taking place at the table. So one day, I mean, I remember this very clearly. One day, 
I think I, I was in Sri Lanka trying to bring the parties there in the conflict together for dialogue, and one, I just had this flash of, of insight that, that I knew what this unspoken conversation was about. And if I were to put words to it, it would go something like, how dare you treat us this way? Or can't you see we're suffering? How can you continue to treat us this way when uh, you know, our communities are suffering and our people are, are in pain? And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a conversation that we should be having, not the one that's on the top of the table with the political issues, but this emotional conversation. And, again, to make a very long story short, at one point I realized what this was about was their dignity. And, and the conversation and the emotional, the emotional tsunami that filled the room every time we had these dialogues was really about, you know, I can't believe you're treating us this way. And so that was a, a moment that kind of crystallized in my mind that this is the way we need to be starting the conversation. We're having the wrong conversation. And so from that moment on, I think that was like about in, um, you know, around 2000, the year 2000. And from that moment on, I started listening for these dignity assaults, these injuries to dignity, even though they weren't verbalizing them. I could, I could sense them. They were in the room. And then finally one day I said, okay, we're going to talk about this. And so I, I decided um, to say to the, to the parties, I said, look, we're having a discussion about the political issues, but I have a feeling we should be talking about something else. And I said, I have a feeling we should be talking about your dignity and the assaults that you've experienced to your dignity. And I swear to you, that moment when people heard me say assaults to your dignity, it was like a whole new light opened. There, there was light in the room, and, people, and I said to people, well, how about we talk about times when you felt your dignity was violated here? And lo and behold, everybody had a, com- everybody had a comment to make. Everybody had a story. And I think, you know, underlying all of these crazy conflicts in the world that we are experiencing, I mean, even right here in our country, underlying all of those um, bitter feuds is really a, a, a yearning to be treated with dignity and a way, you know, and, and I think unless we have that conversation first, um, I don't think resolving any of these political issues or whatever the issues that that seem to surface, whether it's in the workplace and the families, if we don't get to the core of this shared human desire to be treated as if we mattered, I don't think we'll ever see an end to these conflicts. So actually, I was going to ask you that. Do you think that your dignity model and your work with all of these people across the world has application um, to a family, you know, a family living in Indiana or wherever they're living? Absolutely. No, absolutely, because here, here's what I discovered, and you know, as you know, I, as you mentioned, I wrote a book about this, and when the book came out, it appealed to so many people. It's, it's that people were calling me and saying, or emailing me and saying, Donna, I feel like you wrote this book for me. And it was everyday people like you and me. It wasn't, you know, they weren't negotiators in a big conflict. These were everyday people just like us who were saying, you know, now I understand why, you know, I'm having this problem with my daughter or I understand why I'm, you know, struggling in my work with my boss. This is about my dignity. So, you know, even though I discovered it in the international arena, uh, this has application to anybody who happens to be a human being. 
Actually, um, when we were offline, I'll repeat a very quick story I was telling Dr. Hicks. I was telling her that I was speaking um, very recently to a former client, therapy client of mine, um, and I had just gotten done reading her book, and he was telling me about this ongoing conflict with his adult children that he just cannot seem to resolve. And in listening to him, I reframed and said to him, Hmm. Do you think the issue really is that, you know, that you feel as though they're taking away your dignity? And and that really is the issue. And he said, that's it. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. And I said, thank you, Dr. Hicks, because, you know, it is able to move him forward. So let's define, you know, what really is dignity? What is Mm -hmm. it? Well, this was uh, this was a big part of my my research, trying to come up with the, the the simplest definition that I could find. And you know, oddly enough, this this topic of dignity really hasn't been discussed that much outside of philosophy. The philosophers that go back and forth, what is it? You know, how do we know it's real and all of this? But at the end of uh, many many months of researching this, I realized that dignity is something very very simple. It's our inherent value and worth, and at the same time, it it also is inherently vulnerable. So what that means is we're all born with dignity. It comes a part of our DNA, and when I give talks about this, I I have this beautiful slide of an infant baby, and I say, and so maybe your listeners can picture an infant baby, um, and I say, look at this beautiful child. Is there any question that he or she has inherent value and worth. Just look at it. It's so beautiful. And you can also see how vulnerable that baby is. Now, I'm not talking about physical, physical vulnerability only. Yes, the baby is physically vulnerable, but that baby's dignity is also vulnerable. And it's a part that we, don't, we tend not to pay that much attention to. You know, we can accept, okay, yes, everybody's born with value and worth, but with these little ones, I think we could even go farther. We can say that these little children are invaluable and they're priceless and irreplaceable. So this is something that, um, you know, their dignity is something that has to be nurtured and cared for just as much as we care for their physical beings. You know, we feed them, we make sure they're warm, we make sure they go to sleep and get enough. You know, all those physical things that caretakers are really, you know, good at. And we have to have the consciousness to recognize that their dignity needs that kind of care and attention, um, and, and sometimes even, you know, equally as so, if not more so, especially when children start getting older. So um, that's the simple definition. It's our inherent value and vulnerability. So you had talked about um, dignity assaults. Can you give us some examples of what would be a a dignity assault? Sure. Well, you know, I think with, um, I don't know what age group you want to talk about, but for any, any, any of us, actually, here, here, let me just say one thing about these dignity assaults before I give an example. Uh, well, the, the truth about these dignity violations, I call them dignity assaults, injuries to our dignity, the truth about them is that, um, you know, they are equally, equally as um, hurtful as a physical wound. Now, there's been some research to show this, that, you know, our brains actually don't even know the difference. They, the part of the brain that gets illuminated, if we put a brain scan on someone and violate their dignity, 
that part of the brain um, that gets illuminated is the same part as if somebody were experiencing a physical injury. It's the, all, it's the ancient pain center in our, in our brains. And so that basically means that, you know, this is, explains why dignity violations feel so hurtful. And so, for example, you know, I, I have, uh, when I teach this, I teach a course at Columbia Teachers College, uh, and, and it's, um, you know, I often ask people to tell me about a time when they felt their dignity was violated, what their early experiences were. And nine times out of ten, the earliest experiences that they can think of happen in school. Like, for example, a teacher might have embarrassed the child, the, the young person in front of everybody, um, made this child feel stupid or, you know, didn't feel like uh, the child was included, was left out on the margins. There's something about that child's identity, you know, being different from people. They feel like they were treated differently because they might have been from a different race, a different religion. Um, all of Dr. Hicks, things. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. We, we yeah. have to go to a break. Um, when oh, we come already. back, though, okay. we're going to sure. let you continue talking to us about dignity assaults. I also want to talk to you about your um, 10 temptations that yep. put us at risk for committing uh, dignity violations. I thought this was interesting, not only with others, but also with for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. It is Dr. Maron. I'm here with Dr. Donna Hicks, who is the author of Dignity. It's a central role in resolving conflict. And before the break, um, Dr. Hicks was sharing with us some examples of dignity assaults. Um, but when we were offline, we were having an interesting conversation um, about dignity violations, um, uh, not only towards um, others, but towards ourselves. So, Dr. Hicks, will you kind of follow up with us on that? Yeah, I wanted to make the point um, that when, you know, like with the story that you told about your client um, uh, in your therapy session, it's very natural and normal that we can understand when someone has violated our dignity because we feel it. It's a very visceral, hurtful experience. But what we tend not to be so aware of, and this is where part of the dignity education comes in, is that we're not aware of when we end up violating the dignity of others. So when you have a breakdown in a relationship, um, typically there's usually... good. Dignity violations happening back and forth. And because of our unique perspective uh, as individuals, we, don't t- we tend not to pay so much attention to the way we're treating others, but we, you know, we feel because we have such strong feelings about shame, being shamed and humiliated and not understood and all of that. Uh, it's so much easier. So part of the work that we have to do is recognizing, you know, that we all have blind spots, each and every one of us, and and to try to figure out, gee, if I'm having a problem with my, let's say, with my spouse, I'm having a problem here, and I'm feeling like he's violating my dignity. The the first question we might want to ask, if we when we get out of our emotional trigger, we can say to ourselves, well, gee, what might I be doing? that's violating his dignity. See, that's not a natural question to ask, but it is in many times, if you want to look at how to repair a relationship, the, the key ingredient there is, is reflecting on what might my contribution be here? How might I be violating his dignity? You know, it's interesting you say that because we did one of the highest rated programs we've done is on family estrangement. And in that uh, program, Dr. Coleman, who was with us then, was talking about um, in his work, he often asks family members to write what he calls an apology letter which is not necessarily apologizing for something that you've done wrong when you may not see it as wrong, but saying, I'm really sorry that, you know, I did something which I did not mean to, but which you, you know, saw as being hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, does that kind of fit in with what you're talking about? Yes, uh, I, I definitely think so. And the, the, I guess the, the approach that I take is a little more specific than that because, as you said, I've outlined what I call ten elements of dignity. And they're, you know, they're basically how people want to be treated. And, and, for example, I'll just give you run through it really quickly, that people want their identity accepted no matter who they are. And they want recognition for their unique qualities and way of life, and they feel they need, want acknowledgement when something happens to them. They want to be included. They want to feel safe. They want to feel safe in the relationship with uh, other people. And this is a big one. They want to be treated fairly. Um, they want to be given independence. They want to be understood. They want the benefit of the doubt. And finally, they want to be apologized to if something bad happens to them if someone violates their dignity. So in this case, let's say, 
it's not just a general apology. It's, it's, I would ask the person um, in the failed relationship, both people, how they felt that their dignity was being violated. It would be like the start of the conversation. Each person gets a chance to tell her or his story about what, you know, what the dignity violations were. And, of course, they'd be equipped with these ten elements of dignity. So they would get very specific. They would say, let's say, for example, I would tell my husband, well, I didn't feel like um, you included me when you made a decision about where we were going to be going on our vacation. You just made all the plans, and I felt left out of that. So, um, and then the husband would say, well, you know, I think... um, you know, I didn't understand that you wanted to be a part of it. It was my fault that I didn't think that this was something you would have been interested in, you know, like that. So, Oh, you know, it, it's... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, please, it, go on. It, it's just really interesting that you say that because what I have found is with people, and I hadn't thought about it to this moment, is that patterns get set. We have yeah. routines and patterns between us. And then something changes. The birth of a child, one partner retires, something happens, all right? And suddenly yeah. the expectation changes, such as, yeah. well, you all, you always made the plans. You know, I always made the plans yeah. for the vacation. You never... You know, you were, like, grateful before, and now suddenly you're upset, you know. Yes. Um, No, exactly. So things change. I want to get back to one of your elements that I found interesting, and that was Uh the benefit of of the doubt, all right? Because as I read that, I, I suddenly remembered a conversation that I had had with someone actually from the Middle East, and what he said to me is, is, you know, Merle, what you don't understand and you don't realize is that when I first meet you, and he explained this as a cultural phenomena, maybe it is, mm-hmm. maybe it isn't, but this is how he explained it to me, that I assume that you are my enemy until proven otherwise, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to someone else who may assume that I'm your friend until proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I, so when I read that element, I thought, you know, I... That might be very difficult uh, for mm-hmm. people to well, do it's that. Part, it's, it's part of the problem because I think most people don't trust other people. I mean, I think this is, this is a very harsh and cruel world we live in when it comes to dignity. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful things about, about our world, but at the same time, um, our ignorance about how vulnerable each and every one of us is to having our dignity violated has created so many dignity violations. And in fact, you know, I believe that we're suffering from a worldwide epidemic of these dignity violations and they're going unnoticed. So what, what I mean, I think that that person's perspective, um, you know, isn't a unique one. I don't think it's anything unique to being in the Middle East. I think, you know, my husband, he, he claims he rarely trusts people. He says it really overtly. And I, I just think that it's something that we have to unlearn because the fact is there's some really interesting research that shows that how you present yourself to another person in an interaction, the, that we have neurons in our brain that get stimulated if, when we experience somebody who we think is judging us, right? When we think somebody is like, well, but this guy isn't trusting me. I can feel that. Well, the fact is that's true. Because there are neurons that actually get activated when we're in, in, in a conversation with someone. And so what I say is, the reason I 
put that benefit of the doubt in there as an element is because we might as well approach people as if they were trustworthy. And then, you know, because our brain, that other person will pick up on our, on our, you know, good intentions toward that other person. We are emotionally communicating all the time in our neurons. I mean, this, this was astonishing research that I found. It just, goes to show that, you know, when you're with somebody, you kind of sense, well, how is this person feeling about me? I, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that he's not, you know, he's not feeling like I'm trustworthy. Or, but the point is, so why don't we err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt? And if we don't, you know, we're, we're smart enough to know that if that person is hurtful and not trustworthy, okay, we can shift gears. But I think we could make a huge difference if we assumed that people actually were trustworthy. Now, you know, of course you can say, well, we, we learned that people aren't trustworthy. Yeah, okay. But in our initial encounters with people, it's, it's really, really helpful, and it makes a big difference in how a relationship will evolve and develop. So let's talk about temptations for a minute, because um, you talk about temptations as kind of a way that we end up, um, if I read it correctly, in terms of uh, committing a dignity assault. Um, And there are three that really struck me. Um, One of them is taking the bait. Yes. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing about these 10 temptations that you're talking about. What I discovered when I was writing this book was that, because I really went into the biology of what it means to be a human being, and what I discovered is that we have hardwired into our brains, and we, we don't come into the world a blank slate. We have hardwired psychological mechanisms that get triggered under certain circumstances. So when somebody's experiencing a threat, we have self-preservation instincts that get you know, activated in a nanosecond. So everybody's heard of fight and flight. That's, that's, those are the common ones. But biologists have also uncovered the fact that, you know, we have these, these mechanisms that are like that hair trigger inside us that when somebody treats us badly, we want to, you know, get even. We want to seek revenge. This is what I mean about taking the bait that we are hardwired to take the bait where we want to, to see you know, the person suffered just like they've made us suffer. And um, that's just a biological self-preservation instinct that, that we basically inherited as a part of being human. And, you know, there's many others too, but the take, don't take the bait is such an important one because we don't want the bad behavior of others to be determining how we're going to act. So we have to be so mindful. We have to understand the fact that we are... You know, we've got these hair-trigger responses, these instincts that call for self-preservation, that help us survive, but boy, they get us into big trouble in our relationships. So another one that I see a lot in caregivers, caregivers for people of all ages, is what you called blaming and shaming others to deflect your own guilt. Yeah, yeah. See, the, the main thing about what biologists have discovered about what makes us uniquely human is that we do not like to look bad in the eyes of other people. We don't, we, we avoid shame and humiliation. It is just part of our instinct to not want to feel that shame and humiliation. And so let's say we did something wrong. Let's say you're one of your caregivers or one of your patients and who the caregiver is taking care of, they 
do something really, um, you know, really awful to the caregiver. And instead of coming forward and apologizing and say, I'm really sorry that I treated you this way, they will try to deflect it, perhaps, right? This is just one scenario. They will try to deflect it and say it was all about that person, that, you know, you're trying to shame the person and you, did, you didn't do this correctly or, you, you know, you gave me the wrong this or the wrong. People have a very hard time taking responsibility when they make, you know, their own mistakes, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction to want to deflect the blame and put it on somebody else. Yeah. We have to be We're, so careful of this. We were due for another break. I'm so oh, sorry, gee, but we are. So, okay. so um, when we return, we're going to be discussing um, or continuing our discussing discussion on how to rebuild broken relationships. And I want to um, go back to one more of the temptations. Sure. Um, but we're going to talk about how to begin to heal and restore family relationships. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Do you understand what really needs to be done for your health? Or like many, are you mostly letting what you hear and see in today's media dictate your healthy lifestyle? It's time to get focused. There is a reason why cancer, heart disease, chronic fatigue, hypothyroidism, and other illnesses are running rampant in our world. Ganino Wellness Radio with Dr. John and Linda Ganino will show you that there are easy, preventative, everyday steps to get you back on track. Listen live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and we're here with uh, Dr. Donna Hicks. 
the author of Dignity, Its Essential Role in Resolving Conflict. Um, and once again, I'm sorry, we were having a very interesting conversation mm-hmm. offline, which I'm now going to bring online. And what I was saying to Donna was, when we were talking about blaming and shaming others to deflect your own guilt, what I was thinking about is something I see very frequently, which is there is a family member in town um, taking care of a parent, a mother or a father or both, and the other siblings, the other adult children live far away. They live uh, someplace else. And so what happens is they come back into town and now they're beginning to feel guilty that they should be doing more or they, they should be doing something else other than what they're doing. And what happens is, is they walk into the home and the littlest thing they see not going right. They're immediately attacking um, their sibling, who's the primary caregiver, um, by saying, you know, you know, mom wouldn't be in this situation if only you had done this or you you had done that differently, and and we're off and running. So, Donna, do you want to continue that thought? Yes. No, I, I know that the one. I know that story. I've seen it a million times, and and I think I was what we were talking about earlier was that um, what would be the dignity approach to this uh, would be it's actually very simple, but it's hard to do. And the simple the simple thing would be as the sibling who's coming from far away and who's feeling guilty, because there's always guilt when it comes to one other sibling having the lion's share of the, of the responsibility for caregiving. It's always, there's always guilt involved. And so a, a healthy response, a dignified response to the, to the caretaker who is there and having to do all the work is for the other sibling from far away to come in and say, look, you know, I just want to acknowledge that... Um, you have, you've got all this responsibility, and I'm living far away, and I can't be here to do some of the things to relieve your burden. And I just want to let you know that I recognize how, how much you're doing, and I'm so grateful to you for, for doing all this. And, you know, maybe we could talk about ways in which I could be of support from a distance. You see, that opens up a whole different conversation. It's a completely different conversation because what the caretaker needs, the sibling who's at home taking care of the parents, what he or she needs is acknowledgement for having all of the responsibility. There's nothing more powerful than using that element of dignity of acknowledgement because it, it disarms the person. It disarms the whole conversation and it opens it up for a different way of uh, handling the, the the guilt that the person is feeling. I think that's very helpful. Actually, I think it's so helpful. I'm going to give you another example. All right, Good. so Go you on can comment me, yeah. on it. All right, <laughs> and one of your other temptations was um, being the victim, which is something mm-hmm. I often see between adult children um, and parents who are estranged and having conflict, um, where um, the child often feels um, that that they are the victim and they are to be pitied. Sometimes it's true; mm-hmm. they are. But mm-hmm. other times it's not. So could you comment on that and talk about, you know, you know, ways to address those kinds of issues? Well, again, it's, 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 it's a simple approach, but it is hard because people aren't used to this. This is like uh, um, di- the dignity work is all, in some ways, it's counterintuitive. It's simple, but it's counterintuitive. And what I would do if there was really some un- 
um, addressed unspoken dignity violations that the person felt that he experienced. Uh, maybe it's, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking childhood, are you, or childhood? I'm talking about adult children. It's usually what right. I, I see between adult, adult children. children. Yeah, yeah. Well, they probably are, are resentful because of something that happened in the past, though, correct? Or is it usually yes, something correct. in the present? No, you're correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So these past indignities, um, you know, I don't have yet to meet a parent who has never violated the dignity of their children. I mean, we're, it, is, it is such a difficult job to be a parent. It is so hard. And, you know, it's inevitable that we're going to probably violate the, the dignity of our, of our children one way or the other. And it's a similar with children. It's very easy to violate the dignity of your parents because... Um, you know, as I said, we're not very, we're not aware of the ways in which we harm others. We're acutely aware of the way others harm us. So opening up that conversation, if we could just say, look, I want to sit down with you. There's a, something, my, something in the past that is, you know, gnawing at me, and I really want to have a discussion with you about it. And I would say, first and foremost, that my relationship with you is so important and this past um, episode or something that happened in the past is getting in the way presently for me to have a good, healthy adult relationship with you. I just want to have that conversation. Would you be willing to have that conversation? I think that's excellent. Yeah, I, it, it does. You're right. It opens up the communication. But on the receiving end of that. I think people yeah. uh, get into a pattern where they assume that the chaos and the conflict and the dignity assaults are going to continue. So when someone, my take on that is if someone starts out differently, you owe yeah. it to them to stop and really listen to what they're saying um, and think yeah. about it uh, a little bit. Well, you know what else helps? Um, what else helps is if the, the parent child and child have the, the language of dignity. I mean, I'm telling you, I've, I've worked with so many therapists who have used this, um, this model, um, and, and, and they, you know, what they do is they introduce the, the ideas through a therapy session. Um, and if, they, if they, they, she'll actually have them read the book. And if both parties the parents and the children really understand the language, it is so much easier because it's harder if you're the only one equipped with the dignity knowledge and the dignity language. It's so much easier when both people have shared that same background and the same you know, foundation upon which they want to have the conversation. Um, so you know, if they could start out by introducing this idea that, look, you know, all, every human being wants to be treated well and our dignity is very fragile, just like anything else, any other part of our human experience, our dignity is fragile. And I'd like to have a discussion about, about this because I think we're, we've both trampled on each other's dignity here. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want a different kind of relationship where we're honoring each other's dignity. And, you know, it kind of breaks people down when, when they hear that. Like, I want a relationship with you where we're both honoring each other's dignity. I mean, it makes people cry most of the time because they recognize that the relationship hasn't been that way. And everybody needs healing around it. Everybody. You know, you state that having a cognitive understanding of another's point of view is not enough. That that what you need is 
kind of the feeling of what's happening to them. Can, can you comment on that, and, and how do you do that? Well, you know what? You're so in- it's so interesting because I, I just gave a talk about this that, you know, we talk about being able to take the perspective of the other person. Well, I don't think that's a useful way of thinking about how to get under, in the skin of another person. I think what we really need to do is to try to seek deeper understanding of what that person's lived experience is about. How, what is their life like? What is their day like? Tell me what it's like to be, you know, to be you and, you know, to go into your job and have the kind of work you do. Tell me what it's like to be, for you to be a parent. Tell me what it's like. That's very different from just taking the perspective of the other person. This is, this is a much more holistic and complete way of trying to understand what's going on inside another person and in their daily lives. I mean, I don't know if you get, if you see the point here that it's so much more than just a cognitive understanding. It's the whole thing. You know, it's kind of all at once. We want to know what your lived experience is like. And it includes your emotional reactions. It includes your thoughts. It includes your beliefs, all of that. It's, and, you know, to get that kind of deeper understanding of a person, that requires a lot of questioning, a lot of deep reflection with people. It's not... You know, it, it really opens the door to a kind of intimacy that we're not used to. I also think, and 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 maybe not, that I also think actually that it also means acceptance, um, because oh. you may not agree with the feeling, or you may not mm-hmm. understand the feeling, um, mm-hmm. but it, it is someone else's feeling, and it's how they feel about it, and and so we have to respect that, even though we don't really understand it. You know, the, the other quote yeah. is you have towards the end of your book, you said vulnerability is where the power is. Can, mm-hmm. you, can you explain that? Yes, because here's the thing with these, these ten, um, 10 temptations that we just discussed, you know, don't take the bait and don't blame the victim, or, you know, don't uh, blame and shame others to deflect your guilt. All of these things require us to be vulnerable. In other words, um, if we, let's just say that we uh, are, uh, we've decided we're not going to be the innocent victim in a failed relationship, right? We're not going to assume it's all about the other person, that we are going to assume that there might be something about what I'm doing that's contributing to this. And to go to that person who you've been in a bad relationship with and face that person and say, you know what, um, I, I, really, uh, I really want to have a discussion with you about the ways in which I might be contributing to this problem that we're having. That's making yourself extremely vulnerable, right? Because people are fearful of doing that because they say, well, that other person's just going to attack me. But you know what? Vulnerability, it takes so much strength to, to fight those temptations to, to cover up your responsibility or to cover up your you know, what role you're playing in it. It takes, it takes guts to do that. And so I yeah, say not only does, is it vulnerability is where the, is, is strength, but it, it's also where the truth lies. And if you want to uncover the truth about what's going on in a bad relationship, you better be willing to make yourself vulnerable and hold up the mirror to yourself and say, what might I have done? 
I think that that it is difficult at times. I, I, I would agree with what you're saying, and, and we just have about 30 seconds left before the next break. So I want to continue this because I think it can be difficult because of the person on the other end is not yeah. responding so positively and all they do is attack you, mm-hmm. I, I, I can think it'd be um, pretty hard. And I'd like to hear your thoughts about how you, you get through that um, yeah. and, and work through it and, and getting back to one of your other temptations and not take the bait. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Hicks about her dignity model and its application uh, to the recent turmoil going on in our country right now with the presidential election. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're with Dr. Donna Hicks. We've been having great conversations about the importance of dignity and how it really impacts our relationships with others around us, in our family, in the workplace, globally. And... Dr. Hicks, as we're talking about globally and what's going on around us, how can you apply the dignity model to just all this recent turmoil that's been going on around the recent presidential election? Mm-hmm. Well, from a dignity perspective, as <clears throat> you and your listeners might uh, agree at this point, having heard what I've had to say about dignity, it's been a nightmare. Um, dignity has been trampled upon and as a, even used often as a tool to, um, you know, to, to delegitimize people. And, it, and it's just tragic because I think one of the things in politics that even our founding fathers believed in was that we may differ in our ideas and, you know, there's two parties and, you know, three parties really if you, if you consider independence. Um, and the, each each party has differing ideas about how we should govern and how politics should should go. 
the, the problem comes in when we start attacking the people rather than the ideas. And I think this is what's happened um, in this recent election. The, the, the level of um, attacks on certain groups of people have been so uh, painful and hurtful to those who have been on the other receiving ends of it. And this whole idea that we were built upon in this country to disagree uh, with what I call disagree with dignity has not been um, has not been honored at all in this in this election, and I think that's what we need to get back to. How do we disagree with one another without violating each other's dignity? Actually, that was my next question to you about how we begin to heal. Because I mean, yeah. I've seen some things on Facebook. I I just I, I'm astounded by it's appalling. Um, I know. Yeah, so I I don't know how we're going to begin this process of of healing again. Yeah, well, you know, I've given a couple of talks on this topic here just last week in in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I think one of the things that if we want to have a discussion about healing, which I think is absolutely the conversation we need to have, I think we have to also understand what needs to be healed. And my take on this is that what the underlying problems here are really problems about people's dignity. And, you know, I, when I gave this talk the other day, um, I, I quoted a, a historian here at Harvard, Jill Lepore, and she said, I was, um, Trump was elected because he got something right about the suffering of Americans. The arrogance of politicians, academics, and the press, what they got, um, at the, yeah, so it was the arrogance that, that, that Donald um, Trump was really pointing to and when he actually, I think he honored the dignity of the people who, who voted him in office because they were people who were not being heard. They were people who were not being listened to. They were people who had suffered tremendously under the, uh, you know, the past political system and the, pl- and the past political um, you know, not just the last eight years with President Obama, but even before, people are, were fed up with not being heard, not being seen, not being listened to. And I think that's what Donald Trump, he actually tapped into that, and he honored their dignity. The problem is he did it at the expense of some other, other groups, and that was where the problem came in. Mm. So Deanna emailed me um, a very interesting question that I'd like to ask you that's related to this. And she says, quote, it seems as if there's much division online. How do we enter the conversation and offer dignity in an online space? Yeah, well, you know, online space, we were were just talking about this, that it's really easier to forget about people's value and vulnerability about people's dignity on, online, and some of the most horrific things have been written online um, that are just actually appalling from a dignity perspective. And <clears throat> I think if we're going to apply these rules, you know, okay, we differ about ideas, and we differ about how the, the, the country should be governed. I would want, and, and I've done this, I mean, what, what I think the approach should be is to seek a deeper understanding of why people uh, feel the way they do. Instead of having a debate where you're looking for, you know, um, to try to 
um, to try to prove the other person wrong. The, the approach that I would take, the dignity approach online, would be, look, I understand that you feel that um, X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, I happen to feel differently. It's important to me. This is what I would say. It's important to me to understand what has motivated you to do what you've done or to feel the way you do. Um, so the whole approach is to seek deeper understanding. Seek deeper understanding. That's what we need more than anything else because this polarized back and forth debate style, you know, proving each other right and wrong, I'm, you know, I'm superior to you, you're near the inferior, you know, thinker, and I've got the better answers. This is not going to get us anywhere but more hurts. And underlying, if we seek deeper understanding, I think what you'll find is that people on both sides of the divide have experienced violations of their dignity. And if we can open up that conversation rather than a conversation about politics, then I think we're on the road to having, um, you know, having a healing process engaged it would be wonderful if if we could do that. You're right. Let, let's talk for a minute because we only have a few minutes left about generational um, dignity assault. So, for example, I'm obviously not a millennial. I'm too old. But I, I'm often, you know, listening to millennials who are very angry, all right, because they feel as though they're underappreciated and people don't really understand them and that there's a lot of conversation um, about millennials in a very negative way that they get very angry about. Um, But on the other hand, so do the baby boomers get upset because they feel as though they're not respected or, Mm -hmm. you know, take it away. So do you have any comments about this whole, we seem to be, it seems to me anyway, that the generational conflict has suddenly increased. Well, you know what, I think what the onus I think is on us to really try to seek, uh, to be curious about the experience of, of the millennials. I mean, I actually, I mean, I teach, you know, I, I, I have students who are millennials, many, and I find their perspective to be so interesting. But they, you know, you have to ask. You have to say, gee, the, you know, the way you feel about this is very different from how, how I see it. Could you please explain it to me? You know, you, you have had such different experiences in your life than I had. I really want to know what is behind your thinking there. And I'll tell you, that, just that question, the way I just posed it, is a way of honoring their dignity. It says your, your viewpoint is important to me. I want to hear it. I want to understand how you're different from me. I want, you know, I want to be fair with you and give you an opportunity to to talk about what's going on. I mean, this whole, we have to shift our default setting in our brains to being curious and wanting to go deeper in our understanding of other people rather than wanting to be understood. I think that's the switch in the default. And I think a mature person who has really a deeper understanding of dignity can say, look, you know, if I'm curious about someone who I don't understand, instead of judging that person, whether it's a millennial or somebody who disagrees with you politically, showing, showing curiosity and wanting to have a deeper understanding opens doors that, um, and opens up a space for a conversation where everybody's dignity can be, um, can be honored. Dr. Hicks, I thought an hour was going to go slowly. It has gone very, very quickly. 
And I actually, in all of this, I still didn't get to all of my questions. Um, another but, time. <laughs> we only have about a little less than two minutes left. So tell us um, about contact information, website, um, getting your book. Sure. Um, the um, the book is uh, pretty much in I, I, it's in a lot of bookstores. I don't know if it's in your local bookstores, but you certainly can get it on Amazon. Um, and um, yeah, I have a website, drdonnahicks.com, if people want to take a look at that. And I am writing another book called Leading with Dignity. It's a, a book about leadership and what dignified leadership looks like. So. People can be on the lookout for that, and I'm right in the process of it, so it's going to take a while. Dr. Donna Hicks, thank you so much for being with us today and, and teaching us so much and giving us so much to think about. We really appreciate your being with us. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. This is uh, Dr. Merrill reminding you, as I always do, to do just one thing for yourself this week, even if it's just walk outside for five minutes and just take breathe some fresh air. Just do one thing for yourself in order to take, you know, keep taking care of others. You've just got to do that one thing for yourself. Once again, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. It's Caught Between Generation, and remember to watch our Facebook Live. Take good care of yourself. You're very important. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.